The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hello and welcome to the Big Technology Podcast, a show for cool-headed, nuanced conversations of the tech world and beyond. Joining us today is a very special guest. She's a computer scientist, the president of Harvey Mudd College, and a former Microsoft board member who's agreed to come on and speak with us about her experiences. Maria Clave, welcome to the show. Well, my pleasure. It's great to have you. Um, I've been uh, following your career for a while, and um, you, you've been involved in some really interesting moments in tech. And I uh, can't express how grateful I am to have you here on the show. So thank you for joining us. So usually with, you know, the interviews that we do, I like to kind of, you know, we go in with like a soft takeoff and then maybe we get to the more intense stuff. But sorry, I think we have to just start with the more intense stuff right off the bat, because I read this Business Insider article that, you know, quoted you about your time at uh, Microsoft, and it, my eyes kind of dropped out of my head after having read some of the details in there. So uh, for folks who are just, you know, coming into this story, you had hosted uh, or had interviewed Satya Nadella in 2014, and the issue, and it was an event for women about women in the tech world. And this issue came up where, I mean, I'm going to let you tell the story, um, but I'll just start it off and then you can you can uh, go from there. But this issue came up where you asked Saya a very fair question, which apparently he had the question in advance, which was um, when it, if a woman wants a raise in the workplace, how do they bring it up? Very simple question. So how did and it turned into a bit of an issue? So so take us from there. How did Saya answer that, and, and why did he get him into trouble? Well, the the first thing is that it was the last question in the interview. It was an hour long fireside chat at the Grace Hopper celebration of women in computing. And um, I I think one of the things was that Satya was used to interacting with me uh, in my persona at the Microsoft board meetings. And I had learned to be fairly quiet there um, Mm. just because when I spoke up, I would often get sort of trounced by Bill Gates or somebody else. And what do you mean trounced, by the way? Oh, well, yelled at for asking <laughs> what seemed like a straightforward question and being mm-hmm. asked if I was trying to destroy the company. Really? Yeah. Well, isn't and, the purpose, sorry, we're, we're already going off track, but isn't the purpose of the board to sort of press management in a way that they might not be getting, well, you know, within the rest I of the thought, company? But most of <laughs> this would happen whenever I'd ask about a technology, a diversity in the tech uh, company. So Bill Gates wasn't space. hearing that. Right. Mm-hmm. So he was not interested in that. But in any case, um, Satya had agreed to do this. It was about, I think about uh, nine months into his time or maybe eight months Mm -hmm. into his time as CEO. And I thought very, very highly of Satya. I still do. And I was really delighted that he agreed to let me interview him. And he actually asked that uh, the women employees at Microsoft from around the world be allowed to suggest Mm -hmm. the questions. Mm -hmm. And so he had he of those suggested questions, he picked the ones that he wanted to answer and okay. gave me the list. And this was the so last no tricks. Yes. So this mm-hmm. was the last one on the list. They were all good questions, but 
I, the thing about this was that um, I'm a pretty goofy person uh, mm. at Grace Hopper. Like I'm, and I think Satya just was surprised by the way I was. Mm-hmm. And uh, as a result, he was, I think, got a little bit more relaxed than he mm-hmm. normally would have been. And, mm-hmm. um, and so when I asked this question, which was, if you wanted a pay raise, what would your advice, if a woman wanted a pay raise at Microsoft, what would your advice be? And his response was something on the order of, it's good karma just to let the system take care of it. So you shouldn't ask. Yeah, I have the exact the exact quote. It's not a it's not really about asking for a raise, but knowing and having faith that the system will give you the right raise, which I mean, you push back, you know, very uh, you know, appropriately because if you trusted the system, you wouldn't have to ask that question. Yeah, and also, I mean, there's sort of two things about Asking for a raise. And I will just Mm -hmm. say, as I probably said, actually, the interview, I'm not very good at asking for raises myself. Um, Mm -hmm. I've gotten better over the years. But one thing I've learned is it's important to practice making the ask with somebody you're comfortable with so that Mm -hmm. you're not all nervous. And secondly, it's important to have your data and have an Mm -hmm. idea of what a competitive salary would be and be able to pitch it as a win for both the company and for you. And so mm-hmm. that's what I said. And uh, the that particular part of the interview went viral instantly. Yeah. And Satya, um, immediately after the interview, he sent a message to every Microsoft employee uh, apologizing for getting the answer wrong and saying that Maria had it right. And, and then, you know, I saw him later on in the afternoon and talked to him about it. And by the next day, what he said was he was going to go back to Microsoft and he was going to take some courses on diversity and inclusion. And he was going to make sure the rest of the senior team did as well, because if he could get that wrong, maybe others could as well. And I think he was completely right there. Yeah. He's, he's called it like one of the most important moments for him in Microsoft. I think obviously it, it sort of uh, opened his eyes to where his blind spot might've been, which as a leader to see your blind spot and then learn is a good quality. And I can't tell you how many people both inside Microsoft and outside Microsoft Mm -hmm. told me how much they admired his, the fact that he, Mm -hmm. that he admitted he got it wrong. And the fact that he took a lot of steps thereafter to really try and improve diversity inclusion, Mm-hmm. Um, kind of things at Microsoft. And, you know, I heard for the next three years or so from women at Microsoft, oh my goodness, things are so much better. So yeah. I, I thought it was a very big scandal for him, I, you know, I, early going. I don't trying think to... scandal is the right word. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. it's more like this was a really good learning opportunity right, where he right. really, he displayed that as a CEO, he could learn. And uh, I, I heard so many good, uh, so many comments from so many people around the world about how impressed they were with how he handled it. So yeah. I didn't think of it as, as a scandal at all. I, maybe I should rephrase that a little bit. I think it was a, a, a bit of a PR snafu because the next day, you know, I was researching before this conversation and every major network carried it as we were trying to figure out who's this Satya Nadella who's taking over the story tech company. That was one of the big first impressions uh, that he made. And 
even before the networks could pronounce his name, <laughs> they true. were talking about this. But you're right, definitely a learning moment. Well, I I did 15 news interviews the next day. Mm-hmm. I mean, and initially, Microsoft had asked me not to talk to reporters, and then they decided it would be better if I did talk to reporters. Mm-hmm. And so, and we agreed on what the message would be, which was entirely what I believed, which is he made a mistake. People make mistakes. He corrected it. He's going to make sure that um, things are actually better in terms of women and other underrepresented groups at Microsoft in the future. Mm-hmm. So, and that was the initial story. And I think that's largely what's been talked about up until recently. Um, and then again, this is this business insider story um, that just came out by Ashley Stewart came out in May where you talked a little bit more about what happened in the aftermath. So, you know, the timing's interesting, right? So this conversation happens in October, 2014, October, 2015, you announced that you're leaving the board. What happened in the year in between? Well, the, the chair of the board was John Thompson. He became chair of the board when uh, Satya became the CEO. And he told me very directly that he was very upset that I had, uh, number one, invited Satya to do that interview, and number two, corrected him when he made gave the wrong answer. And I told him that I, and and he felt that I'd hurt the reputation of Microsoft by doing that. And I argued that that uh, as far as I was concerned, um, Satya was the first CEO of Microsoft to be interviewed uh, on the main stage at Grace Hopper. He was very happy to do it. He did a great job, except for that one answer. Mm -hmm. And that the way he'd handled it had actually helped Microsoft's research reputation um, enormously as a result. And that there was no reason... I completely disagreed with John that this was something that hurt the company. Yeah. And it's interesting because I, you know, I mean, John might be, might have looked at it as PR crisis, but ultimately a board is there to make the company better. Yeah. And you would imagine this was one of those key moments that's going to make the company better. Well, that's what I thought, but it definitely wasn't what John thought. Right. And so, so I'm curious, like, do you, well, I'm curious who you think he was looking out for you know, and, and when he came to you with that pushback. And then if you could share a little more about what happened after that. Well, I think he thought he was looking out for the company. I think he just mm-hmm. disagreed with me and with many others about the impact on Microsoft of mm-hmm. that having happened. And, um, you know, essentially uh, he came to see me at the September, so a little bit less than a year afterwards to tell me that he was going to ask me to leave the board. Mm -hmm. Uh, that he wanted to have more quote-unquote conventional women on the board uh, who weren't as outspoken. Is that what, I mean, in his words, conventional? That's unbelievable. Yes, conventional businesswomen. Uh, And, uh, you know, he had two, he wanted to replace me with two women, which he thought would make, and one of them was a woman of color. He thought that would make me very happy. And, you know, At the time, I felt I had two possibilities. One is I could object, and Mm -hmm. I could have gone to the media at that point. And the other one is I could uh, try to find a way to work through it more smoothly. And Mm -hmm. at the time, I I will say I was tremendously upset. And um, Yeah, describe how it felt 
because that's oh, I felt completely silenced and dismissed. I mean, I just felt yeah. I had put a lot of effort into Microsoft. I really loved mm-hmm. the company, and I just felt that um, I had actually helped the company by doing this interview with Satya, and I just felt really. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> what the mm-hmm. dist, I guess, dismissed, yeah. uh, disregarded, all of those kinds of things. So it was interesting. My daughter uh, at, had, uh, who's a, does peace negotiations, uh, currently for the United Nations uh, in Syria, and she um, talked to me about it before I actually had the meeting with John. He announced that he wanted to come see me in person. Uh, and had set a date, you know, maybe a week to 10 days. And I knew what he was going to say. And because there's just no way he would have come to visit me in person unless he was going to ask me to leave the board. And so I talked to my daughter about it, and she took me through this negotiation strategy, um, which uh, uh, she did her law degree at Harvard and, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. had – had done a no- lot of negotiation work. And um, as a result, I came up with a reason that I would want to leave the board. Mm-hmm. And because I thought that it would be more diplomatic and more professional to simply say that I was going to be asking Bill Gates for a major gift and mm-hmm. there would be uh, a conflict if I were to do that while I was still on the board. And so, mm-hmm. in fact, my meeting with John Thompson was extremely cordial. And it is true that I was hoping to ask Bill for a $20 million gift for a new computer science building we were going to build. Uh, and it sort of sounded as though Bill was leaning towards doing that. In the end, he gave us $1 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was a huge disappointment. The building is now built. It's totally gorgeous. It's called the Scott Mm -hmm. McGregor Center. And it is one of the most beautiful computer science buildings I've seen in my career. But in any case, I I had chosen this particular route. And, you know, I think part of what happened in the time, you know, so you might ask, well, you know, why would I, why would I actually talk about it now? Mm Mm-hmm. And I think part of it is there were a lot of things at the time I wouldn't, that I found really quite distasteful about my experiences of being the micro, on the Microsoft board. And one of them was, you know, certainly the way that Bill treated any, uh, <laughs> any question about, so the, you know, the way this came up was there was a, a one of my early meetings, maybe my first board meeting, there was a list of 50 people on the succession chart for the CEO. At that point, the mm-hmm. CEO was Steve Ballmer. And mm-hmm. there were no women out of the 50. Wait, wait, let's say, let's just pause on that. 50 people as a possible successor to Ballmer? Yes. All men? All men. And two people of color who are both Indian. Hmm. And I'm like, you know, how can that be right in a company like Microsoft? How could it possibly be that there are 50 people and there are no women and there are only two people of color out of 50 and they're both Indian? And that was when Bill said, are you trying to destroy the, are you trying to effing destroy the company? Except he didn't say effing. He said the real He word. told that to you. Yeah. At the, at the board table. And 
I say uh, the other woman on the board, uh, who's Dino Dublon, when we had our first break, she came up to him and she said, Maria, it's so nice to have someone else that Bill was yelling at. Hmm. She said, Did he really- give a, a re- sorry, I'll, I'll let you continue. Did he give a reason or, I mean, no, it was just like, seems- you idiot. Why would you, why would you think diversity in the succession chain matters? Uh, I mean, yeah. okay. So, and there was a fair amount of that kind of thing where mm-hmm. if you, I mean, I, of course, this was, this was my first, I'd been on startup boards before, but this is my first public company. And so, mm-hmm. of course, I got sent to uh, a bunch of um, board training. Uh, so mm-hmm. the first one I went to was at the Stanford Law School, uh, offered one. And you're told over and over again, the imp- most important thing to do is ask questions. Right. And That's the, what's the board's I, for? It was just like, why would you ask questions? What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, why aren't you just shutting up? Because I, I mean, the thing, one of the things I was told was that in the early days of the board, that uh, board meetings, they had to be held on weekends because uh, Bill and Steve didn't want to use up valuable weekday time mm-hmm. for this nonsense of having to meet with the so board. So they didn't have such a high opinion of uh, what was what was the Bill's role at the time? Because he had left the CEO. So what was he officially doing at Microsoft? He was chief software architect at that okay. point. Mm-hmm. And did he have a, a board role? or uh, was He was he... on the board, yes. Okay. All right. um, and uh, well, at that time, he was actually, te- he was chair of the board. Okay. So he's the board chair. Mm-hmm. And I think... Uh, I'm trying to remember who was the lead independent director when I first started. I think it was uh, somebody who left the board soon after that. And uh, then it was um, Reed Hastings. And then it, you know, it moved around, but. Yeah. So you said, so like you're, you're deciding to speak up now. And the reason is. Uh, Well, first of all, I just turned 70 uh, yesterday. <laughs> oh, and, happy birthday. Yes, thank you. And I just realized that it's time to talk about some of these things. Like I, mm-hmm. uh, Part of it, I think, is that I have a lot of respect for Melinda Gates. Mm-hmm. And I, I think before their divorce was announced, I was in some ways reluctant to criticize Bill. Okay. And um, because it would, in some ways, the criticism could be interpreted as also criticizing Melinda. And I think, uh, I think Melinda has done amazing things. I'm a huge admirer. And so I think that was part of it. You know, I heard from a number of people afterwards that, um, you know, I got talked about in the valley as being very outspoken. Well, I am very outspoken. That is definitely mm-hmm. true. And I just felt it was time to actually speak up about um, going through an experience like that. And it was interesting because before the Ins- Business Insider article was published, I had, you know, they they always check, you know, so they checked with Microsoft. They spoke to Brad Smith. They checked with uh Bill, the people representing Bill, Bill's comment was he's 
always been a big champion of women. Look at all the things the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has done to support women. Well, yeah, they have done amazing things, but that's not because of Bill. Um, mm-hmm. And um, uh, so I had a conversation with Brad Smith, and I have – I already said I have a lot of respect for Satya Nadella. I also have a lot of respect for Brad Smith. Mm-hmm. And he was sort of sort of like, why would you do this now? And I'm sort of saying, because I think it's, it's, it was a really bad experience from mm-hmm. my perspective. And I think people should start to talk about these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, so just to recap, so the story is, is, I mean, fairly unbelievable, but I guess believable given the, the world that we live in. But you you sit down with Satya. He has the questions ahead of time. Let me know if I'm getting any of this wrong. He has the questions ahead of time. One of them is, how should women ask for raises inside a company? He says, trust the system and karma will end up bringing the raises. And uh, he gets criticized for that because the system hasn't been traditionally good at delivering raises to women. I mean, in tech, for sure, we know that to be true. He then apologizes and says this is one of the main uh, things that have helped his leadership inside Microsoft. And then the head of the board comes for you. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Am I getting that right? Yep. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, and you know, I. <laughs> what can I say? It's a good story, <laughs> but it's yeah. really surprising. Right. Now, l- just let's take a moment. And so um, I want to hear from from just before we go to break, from your perspective, when you heard the answer, trust the system, uh, you know, so I guess I, I'm trying to put myself in Satya's shoes, but he's trying to say, I mean, obviously he doesn't want everybody coming to asking for raises right away. I, I'm trying to think, what is he trying to say that maybe Microsoft is going to be good? Let me handle this. Uh, I, I got this or um, and and wh- no. what do you think he was trying to say? And what do you think was wrong with his answer? Okay. So I think that, uh, I think he was genuinely not picking up the difference between a woman wanting advice about asking a raise because women are well known to not be as willing to ask for a raise as men are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think he was just talking in general about employees would be better off trusting the system. Mm-hmm. And the reason I corrected him was that I really do think because women ask less often, mm-hmm. that's one of the things that actually accounts for them being paid less or, mm-hmm. and being promoted less often. And I w- that's the point I wanted to make. And yeah. I don't in any way think he was discriminating against women, mm-hmm. but his response was interpreted as discriminating against women. Yeah. Okay. Because it was at a conference for women in tech. For women. Yeah. And you, you think that he learned, obviously he, he did make some changes after that. After the break, I want to talk about um, some of the persisting issues inside Microsoft. And maybe we can get a little bit into your, your time on the board. I'm always curious how these corporate boards work and we've gotten a little bit of insight uh, already, but maybe we could dig a little bit deeper from that th- than that. Uh, if that seems good to you. Sure. Okay. So we'll be right back here with Maria Clave on the Big Technology Podcast. Stick around. We'll be back in just a minute or two. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days. 
all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. And we're back here on the Big Technology Podcast with Maria Clave. She served six years, six years, right, on the board of Microsoft. Almost seven. And the president of Harvey Mudd College in California. In California, Claremont, California. California. Great. Um, So I wrote about the instance that we talked about in the first part of of the podcast in my book, Always Day One. And while I was researching what was going on at Microsoft, I saw that some issues still uh, persisted with the company's treatment of women. Now, the culture, uh, it seems for a long time, has been the loudest guy in the room, often guy, uh, very like kind of software engineer, power type of place. Um, and just like, yeah, the men that had had sort of been there forever controlled it. So. Um, I wondered whether it had solved some of the issues that it had um, with treatment of women in the workplace. And then I saw there was a letter. This is a report from 2019 and Wired that had gone around uh, Microsoft where women inside the company had complained about their treatment. So I'm going to see if I can read a little bit from the story. So the story said um, one woman wrote she had been asked to sit on someone's lap twice during a business meeting where HR and other executives were present and no one uh, objected. The HR leader was later promoted while the woman was reprimanded for not following policy. Um, (laughs) That's unbelievable to read. And um, then uh, here's another one. One woman mentioned that during a roundtable with women for Xbox, uh, nearly all the women had said they had been called the B word at work. So Asaya obviously, you know, said he's making an attempt to approve. I have no doubt that he had an earnest attempt to do it. Are you surprised? I mean, yeah. Are you surprised to see some of these issues persist at Microsoft? Um, what was what's your reaction upon hearing some of this stuff? Well, I think that the first thing would say it's a very big company. Yeah, and, you know, over hundreds of thousands. Yeah, yeah, employees, and and so my sense is that uh, from talking to women at Microsoft is that things got much better in some parts of Microsoft, and not so much in other parts. Okay. Which is, and a big part of this is culture. So right. um, I would say uh, the Microsoft culture really was very much about the loudest person in the room. And, and whether you're a male or female, you were, <laughs> the only way you were going to be taken seriously is if you knew how to argue your points effectively. Mm-hmm. But when women argue their points effectively, they're much more likely to be called the B word. Hmm. And when men argue their points effectively, they're just being assertive, hmm. but women are being aggressive and bitchy. So, hmm. and you know, I'll never forget. Um, I worked at IBM research for eight years after um, starting in 1980. And um, when I, uh, started working at the uh, Microsoft, uh, the IBM Research Lab in San Jose, California. One of the things I did early on at a lunch with the director of the lab was to say that I thought we should start a lecture series um, that was open to all lab members. And he basically said, 
there's no point in doing that. Most researchers don't know how to give a talk that other people in other disciplines could understand. And I argued with them. And uh, that got me the nickname of Bitch on Wheels. Oh, my God. And, and of course, I started a lecture series. It was called the Leonardo da Vinci Lecture Series, and it was a success, mm-hmm. et cetera. I mean, it wasn't going to yeah. stop just because the director <laughs> thought it was a bad idea. But, you know, mm-hmm. um, so I think the, the thing is that if you're at a place like Microsoft, where in order to have to be heard, you have to be really very assertive about your ideas. And mm-hmm. you probably have to be persistent and say it more than once because the first and second and third time you say it may not actually register. Um, of course you get labeled a bitch. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just, there's sort of no way around that. And, um, and the fact that, um, you know, if I think about Xbox, um, so I remember, uh, I was I led a research project started in 1992 on uh, gender differences and how children play with video games. And I had an interview with the person in charge of Nintendo for the U.S. Uh, as I was starting this work. And he just told me, girls will never play video games. They don't like video games. We don't even think about them when we're thinking about producing things for Nintendo. And, and I was sort of like... That's ridiculous. Mm. But, you know, there's so much bias about video games and, you know, how women are represented in games, you know, large breasts. uh, uh, I mean, Cortana was, who's the Siri-like individual for Microsoft, um, is named after a character in, you know, a, a basic a Halo, standard video game with princesses and princes and thrones yeah. and uh, violent action and so on. I, mm-hmm. I, I could hardly be surprised at all that every woman in that round table, at some point, somebody would have called her a bitch. Did you ever bring up the Cortana thing at, at the board meeting? I did. How did they react? It was just, you know, waved away. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I'm going, why would you want to name it after a character who is very heavily sexualized and that, you know, no woman in tech would want to be compared with? And they weren't, they weren't hearing it. They definitely not. How much, so you mentioned Bill Gates. Let's talk about him for a moment. How much of this do you think was due to the culture that he developed at Microsoft? You think about the big tech companies. A lot of them are just kind of in the in the mold of their founders. Amazon is very Jeff Bezos. Facebook is a Zuckerberg type of place. Microsoft, how much of this is sort oh, of the culture? I, it's yeah. hugely from, you know, I, I would say Bill, Paul Allen, and Steve Ballmer as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think one of the... The things about somebody like Bill Gates is he literally thinks he's one of the smartest people in the universe. And mm-hmm. he's a highly intelligent and successful person, but he's definitely not one of the smartest people I've met. Um, partly yeah. because he doesn't know what he doesn't know. I mean, mm-hmm. he really thinks he can go talk to somebody for a couple of hours and he will understand deep things. 
And one of my my favorite argument was Bill uh, was <laughs> when he told me that there was no real mathematical research being done in the last 20 years, that there were no real mm. discoveries. And I happen to be, first of all, I, I'm a research mathematician, but I'm also on the board of the Mathematical Sciences Research Institute at Berkeley, which is the top place in the world for convening uh, mathematicians from around the world to basically work on the hottest topics. And I'm, I'm telling him about some of the recent discoveries in the last 20 years and, you know, how big this is and et cetera. And he's like, no, no, I know. Mm -hmm. I talked to somebody who really knew the field and they told me there were no recent discoveries. And I'm saying, you're talking to somebody who really knows the field and she's telling you that there are. And, you know, just sort of crazy. Yeah. And it's so going back to the way I started the segment, Satya uh, can come in and he's changed the culture for sure, but he had his work come out, cut out for him. Oh, for there sure. was a lot to change. And I've always thought that the strategy of Microsoft, you know, he shifted it from the desktop operating system to cloud and mobile. That was one thing. The culture was always the toughest thing for him to change. And it takes time. I think um, so. There's a, a saying that culture eats strategy for lunch every day. Mm -hmm. I think culture changing culture is the hardest thing to change in any organization mm -hmm. um, and does take a lot of time, but I think he's made a lot of progress. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I, yeah, I think you're right. Like it's a big company. It's never going to be a hundred percent right away. Um, but from what I've heard from the people I've spoke with inside the company, it is very different from, you know, the days of Gates and Balmer where people are, people seem to be listened to in some way. And it's funny, like Gates and Balmer era doesn't seem like people really listen to. And that's kind of, I think, why the strategy went off the rails. And your experience, you know, is sort of indicative of, of what happened there. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think it really, they needed a reset. I think Satya was a fantastic mm -hmm. choice. Now, to be fair to Bill Gates, yeah. who yeah. pushed hardest to pick Satya? It was Bill. It was Bill. Okay. It was Bill. And mm -hmm. I think he was totally right. Yeah. Yeah, it was a good choice. Do you have any other uh, fun Bill Gates stories? Now that we're on a roll, I figured, okay, let's <laughs> see if there's any more. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I guess one of the things I want to point out is that he mm -hmm. was the person who started the giving pledge. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so – you know, I don't want in any way to say that Bill has not done good things with his life. He certainly has done some very good things with his life. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, much of the global health uh, progress has come out of the Gates Foundation. And that's something he really pushed. He's pushing very hard on the climate change issue. Um, so, you know, I don't want to say this is somebody who, you know, this is somebody who's done a lot of very good things with his life as well. Right. Mm -hmm. So I would say that uh, most of the um, so most of the strange things are just one social interactions with him, and you know the the fact that he can be very charming and and very thoughtful and you know completely there and interacting with you, and then the next time you see him, it's like you're a fly on the wall. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that's something we. I mean, also he gets credit, I think, for some of the vaccine stuff that. Yep, and we absolutely. talked about this on this show. He really pushed that forward yeah, uh, and put pressure on a lot of countries to get their, their act together when it came to the COVID vaccines and look at what it's done for us. So people are complex. 
But uh, yes. doesn't mean we should let them off the hook, I guess, if they're going to be jerks, especially about important issues like the ones we've talked about. So I'm just kind of curious, how, how does someone join the, a board of a company like Microsoft and what, and let's end the, this section on this, like, how do you join a, the board of a, of a um, company like Microsoft and what is it like participating in something like that? Well, it was my first public company board. I think you will not be surprised that I was very, I mean, I really wanted to do it. I had, um, I had noticed that Shirley Tillman, who's president of Princeton had joined the Google board mm-hmm. and John Hennessy was on the Apple board and the Google board. And um, I had had a conversation with the board chair at the time at Harvey Mudd and said that I was interested in joining the board of public company. And mm-hmm. he said, well, do you have any companies in mind? And I said, well, my two top choices, uh, well, my three top choices will actually be probably Google, Microsoft, and Amazon. Google's not going to happen because they already have an academic leader uh, on the board. Well, actually, they have two academic leaders on the board. Um, uh, so Amazon and Microsoft would, would, would be my first choices. And uh, she sort of <laughs> laughed and said, you know, it's not like you're aiming higher or anything. And um, <laughs> that's the way to do it. Maybe two months after that, I got a phone call from Rick Rashid, uh, who was then the head of Microsoft Research and somebody mm-hmm. I have known for a long time. I know a lot of people at Microsoft Research. And um, he said that they were considering adding an academic leader to the board and they were interested in uh, somebody who was. Um, had done a lot of strategic planning, which is something I have done a lot of, and somebody who's a computer scientist and a possible a, a woman. Well, how many check check check? How many female computer scientists are presidents of at mm-hmm. higher ed institutions? One. So, yeah. um, and and Rick, bless his heart. Um, had, uh, he said, you're probably not going to be interested in, um, in this. And I said, Rick, it's on my to-do list. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. And, and so, yeah. um, the next thing was that I went up to Seattle and had a meeting with Bill Gates for like 45 minutes. And he spent pretty much all of his time asking me about Harvey Mudd and, mm-hmm. uh, so on. And then the next thing was that Steve Ballmer came down to visit me at Harvey Mudd and interviewed me and mm-hmm. then I got elected to the board. And, and so when you're, I guess, like you, you said, you'd gone to some of these trainings, you're told to ask questions. What was it like actually participating in the board? Uh, were they receptive? What type of discussions did you have? Um, I think it varied a great deal. Uh, what the, what the particular topic was, was, and I think it also varied, like, like a lot of the board work actually gets done in committee. And uh, one of the committees that I was on, so I was on the compensation committee, but I was also on the antitrust committee, which was formed as part of the antitrust um, uh, settlement with Microsoft. And, um, and, and basically that was an effort to try to make sure that there was nothing Microsoft was doing that could be considered as, you know, going against the settlement. And then after the 10 year period, after the settlement ended, 
Then they reformed it and became the Ethics and Public Policy Committee. And I found those discussions extremely interesting. Um, Fascinating. The the people from um, uh, that we were interacting with were interesting, open, respectful. Um, and so I think a, just a lot of it depended on who was present. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've already told you that, you know, I have an enormous amount of respect for Satya and Brad Smith. I have a lot of respect for Kathleen Hogan and um, Amy Hood and, you know, a lot of the senior leadership team at Microsoft. So you, just different people have a different attitude to actually having a discussion, answering questions, asking questions themselves. And I always felt that, you know, with certain groups of people, people took everything you said very seriously and you, you were heavily, heavily engaged in with others. That was less the case. Right. What type of questions would you tackle with the ethics part of your responsibilities? Well, you know, um, it's a lot of questions about privacy. Um, Pertinent. I, I mean, obviously really important mm-hmm. right now. Um, a, a lot of questions about, um, you know, obviously one of the things that uh, the antitrust settlement was, was about was this, uh, the evidence that Microsoft was putting other uh, competing products out of businesses by including a competing product within the operating system that came for free. And, and so, you know, Netscape is the obvious example where, you, you know, it basically lost out um, to IE, com- Internet, to IE Explorer. And Internet yeah. Explorer. And of course, Google Chrome has since, you know, basically Crushed. taken over there. But um, so a lot of these are sort of, you know, what's an appropriate way um, to use the influence that Microsoft has Um You know, other kinds of things are security issues. So I'll never forget at some point uh, we were told that uh, Microsoft was moving to two-factor security as a way of really protecting everyone. And, um, you know, it was something that, you know, was clearly the best in class at the time. And it was a really good thing for Microsoft to do. So, you know, it's those kinds of issues were the kinds of things that got discussed. Um, I I think I I was really pleased that Microsoft came up with a privacy policy that, um, you know, I thought was, was a really good step forward, particularly compared to what, I mean, Apple also has a very strong policy, uh, privacy policy, Google, not so much. Uh, Amazon, mm-hmm. not so much. So, you know, these they, these issues, um, that was one place where I, I, one area where I felt Microsoft, partly because of having been through the antitrust case, um, took actually took some really strong positions on things. So, um, so it would be, you know, I don't want to imply that that there weren't lots of occasions where I felt it was really useful to be on the board and the discussions were really helpful and um, it was possible to feel listened to and respected because there certainly right. were many of those. But I guess on the diversity far- front, that was where it was a struggle. Well, it's a struggle with some people. 
Yeah. Right? Well, I, I, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Well, I mean, I'll just say Kathleen Hogan is somebody who has really fought for diversity. Amy Hood is another one. Uh, Sasha yeah. obviously is somebody who's pushed hard there. So, uh, but so I have a funny Bill story. So I had been invited to invite Bill to be a co-host of a retreat at Sunnylands. Sunnylands is the former home of Walter and Lenore Annenberg. And it was going to be, it had been all refurbished and they were going to start doing retreats. And it had been suggested to me by one of the mud board meeting uh, members that I asked Bill if he would be co-host. And I suggested the topic of diversity, increasing the diversity in STEM. And he said, I'm not interested in that. Bill Gates. Yes. And, and so then I said, okay, how about mm. the use of technology in K-12 math education? He said, oh, yeah, I would do that. <laughs> and I mean, yeah. and so that's what we did. And the funny story out of that, and it was a fantastic retreat. And um, the, what came out of that was an organization called Ed Reports that reviews math, science, and English language arts curriculum for K-12. It's um, the initial primary funder was the Gates Foundation, but it's now supported by, in addition to Gates, who's still a large, the largest supporter, it's supported by um, Hewlett, by uh, Overdeck, um, by Schusterman. And uh, the curriculum folks at the Gates Foundation think it's the most uh, impactful thing they've ever done in K-12 curriculum. And wow. so much so that they refer to it as a verb. Like if they're looking in the Gates Foundation, if they're looking at something that they want to improve, they say, can we add reports it? So I helped found that organization. I've chaired the board uh, since it was founded. And that came out of that retreat. So that was a really good outcome. And yeah. um, so what I would say is there are things Bill's interested in. And there's things he's not so interested in. And when right. he's interested, then he's a great person. He can make real, real impactful change. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do you have maybe 10 more minutes where we can talk a little bit about antitrust now that you brought it up? Sure. Okay. All right. Let's go to break quickly um, and, and come back and, and talk about antitrust. We'll be back right after this. Hi, I'm Jonathan Fields. Tune into my podcast for conversations about the sweet spot between work, meaning, and joy. And also listen to other people's questions about how to get the most out of that thing we call work. Check out Spart wherever you enjoy podcasts. And we're back here for one final segment on the Big Technology Podcast. Thanks for sticking with us. It's already been 50 plus minutes. Thanks, Maria, again for joining us. Let's talk about antitrust because one of the things, so there are six bills in Congress right now that are targeted at the big technology companies, maybe Microsoft, maybe not, but certainly Apple, Amazon, Facebook, and Google. There's also a new head of the FTC, Lena Khan, who is going to be very aggressive when it comes to enforcing some of the rules against these companies. And there's a question of even if it doesn't succeed, can the very nature of the fact that there's going to be regulatory pressure end up uh, hampering these companies' ability to do business. So, Maria, you saw this on the board, you know, serving on the antitrust committee with Microsoft. What sort of burden 
and I know there was a settlement, but what sort of burden does this type of activity place on a company that is targeted by it? And this is maybe a little speculative, but I'm curious what you think might happen to the four aforementioned or even Microsoft now that the the guns are turned on them, so to speak. Yeah. So um, I mentioned that I worked for IBM Research early in my career mm-hmm. and IBM had been targeted. Um, in in fact, they, they were never um, actually charged, uh, as I understand it. But, you know, um, Bell, Ma Bell was broken mm-hmm. up. And that was enough that uh, IBM was incredibly careful about um, trying to make sure there was nothing we would do in IBM research or any other part of the company that could lead to an antitrust suit. And, you know, I was there for the first eight years of my career and it had a big impact. I mean, it just the fact that they were so serious about uh, trying to make sure that uh, they were not seen as shutting down competition was very interesting. And I think it did have one of the things that I think results that happened was that uh, Sun was very effective in getting their workstations, their Unix workstations into academic computer science departments. And Sun um, Microsystems. Yes, Sun Microsystems. And IBM really didn't push back. I mean, they they developed their own Unix workstations, which were not particularly successful. Um, And, you know, I just think... It's, it's just interesting. I think that once you once you think that there's a significant chance that you might be broken up or might be put under very significant restrictions, I, it puts a lot of pressure on a company. So that's the first statement. Um, the second thing I would say is, you know, both Microsoft and Google have been hit by fines from uh, the EU over antitrust issues. I think it actually had a significant, more significant impact on Microsoft's behavior than on Google's because Microsoft had been through the antitrust case in the US. Right. So, I mean, I have no idea what is going to happen, um, but I do expect that the threat of antitrust, given that we have an administration right now that seems pretty serious about it will have a much more significant impact um, over the next three and a half, four years um, than it has in the past. How did the specter of antitrust enforcement, the settlement impact the way that Microsoft did business after, because there, there, there's like, there was a view that, Oh, Microsoft got away easy. Initially it was ruled to be broken up and then it agreed to, stay together under certain conditions. So how did that actually manifest itself in Microsoft's day-to-day? And as a corollary to that, do you think it helped increase innovation in the world? Because that's what we're kind of worrying about with these bills targeting big tech is whether they're actually going to restrain them or help increase innovation. So having been through that with Microsoft, I'm kind of curious where you think that, that factors. You know, I almost think that the antitrust suit caused Microsoft to start looking in new directions 
And, you know, obviously the move to cloud computing has been a huge plus for Microsoft. And um, I think it, one of the things that absolutely had to do was move away from making all of its money by selling operating systems and finding another revenue stream that could be equally and in the end much more lucrative. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it actually pushed Microsoft to be more innovative. Mm-hmm. I suspect, I mean, obviously both Apple and Amazon have done phenomenally well during the pandemic. Yep. They've got lots and lots of resources. You know, obviously we're going through the transition of Jeff Bezos leaving and Andrew Jassy taking over. Andrew Jassy, I mean, AWS has been phenomenally successful. Um, mm-hmm. So I have, you know, I have lots of, of confidence that Amazon will also do well. Um, Apple, you know, Tim Cook is a very different leader from Steve Jobs, but Apple has done very well under Tim's leadership. Mm-hmm. Uh, Facebook is a little bit more complicated because of their role in, you know, disinformation that, you know, played definitely played a role in the 2016 U.S. presidential election. But as far as I can tell, they're mm-hmm. doing just fine. So yeah, the business is good. Everybody hates Facebook. The Republicans hate Facebook because they say <laughs> it censors. The Democrats hate Facebook because it's very good at spreading conservative content and then yeah. misinformation stuff that you mentioned. So, but you know, I mean, business is in good shape. If I look at the people who are getting hired by any of these companies, mm-hmm. they're very talented. They're very competitive, and same for Microsoft. They're all being very successful in hiring. Uh, hiring people uh, at the early stage of their career, at the middle stage of their career, at the senior stages of their career, they're doing really well. I'm not worried about um, them lacking innovation in the future. Yeah. Okay. So it could unlock more innovation. Are are you overall optimistic about this, about where technology is heading in this country, in the U S and I guess worldwide, and I guess both in terms of, innovation and let's let's end on this in terms of innovation but also in terms of like the societal issues like we've discussed so far today yeah so you know ai is obviously it's increasingly uh, having impact on society and having impact in lots of ways that we don't actually know how to predict well Mm -hmm. and um i'm on the uh advisory committee for the schwartzman college of computing at mit Mm-hmm. And um, I've been very impressed with uh, some efforts they are making uh, with an AI policy forum where they're really trying to increase the dialogue between the scientists and the government leaders, uh, not just in the U.S., but, you know, I, I, I think we could screw things up really royally. And I think we also could use AI to make things a lot better in many areas like healthcare. Um, Some amazing developments there. Yeah. Sure. So yeah. I, I tend to be a, a pretty optimistic person, but mm-hmm. I, I think the thing that I would say is there's never been a time when diversity is more important in technology. 
because, and I don't mean just diversity in terms of gender or race or anything like that, or, you know, uh, uh, poverty or social economic levels or any of those kinds of things. I mean, we need more people who understand AI and also understand, pick your favorite area from humanities and social sciences or from mm -hmm. some other area of engineering. I mean, it's just, it's having so much impact on so many aspects of everything that we do. I, I, I feel like the most important thing we need to do is to make sure that we can educate uh, people at least at the bachelor's degree level so that everyone can actually, doesn't matter whether you're going to go into biotech or whether you're going to go into uh, English literature or whatever, so that people can actually understand uh, data science, AI, and, and other aspects of technology, because it's going to happen whether we do this mm -hmm. or not. And it's going to happen better if we have more voices at the table. Absolutely. Well, that's a great, great note to end it on. Thank you so much for your time, Maria. I, I really appreciate it. You know, I, as I was working on the book, I think I added you on LinkedIn and always in the back of my mind, I was like, I wonder if Maria would ever speak with me. And so I'm so glad we had a chance to talk today. And for you, to, for the fact that you were so open about your experiences, I'm sure not easy stuff to talk about, but important stuff to bring uh, out into the fore. So thank you for coming on. Really appreciate oh, it. My pleasure. Thank you for asking me. My pleasure. All right. Well, I think that will do it for us. I just want to say a quick thanks to Nick Guatney, turning this around super quickly. He's our audio editor, Red Circle, for hosting the podcast and selling the ads. If you've heard some ads you like, that's Red Circle. If you heard some ads you don't like, that's my fault. Uh, <laughs> thanks to all of you for listening. If you made it all the way here, maybe give us a rating. If you enjoyed the podcast, we would appreciate that. And uh, if this is your first time here and you want to subscribe, that would be great. We do this every Wednesday. Conversations with tech insiders or outside agitators or sometimes people who fall somewhere in the middle. So that's the pitch. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week on Big Technology Podcast. Mm -hmm.